You know, you probably didn't wake up this morning thinking, I am the most blessed person on the face of the earth. Well, maybe you did. But I will be honest with you that the person that you saw when you looked in the mirror is not the person that you think you saw. You looked on the outside to make sure that, that you didn't miss any places shaving or you combed your hair and, or, or you put on your makeup just right and you had everything on the outside ready to go because you wanted to give your best image of who you are. But the reality is the person that you see in the mirror is not the real you. If you are a child of God, you are blessed beyond you, whatever you can imagine. As the scripture just, uh, or the song that we just spoke and read and sang about the Lord and what he did for us, makes us far more blessed than anybody in the world. You can look at, at people that have a lot of finance, and do you realize that in the eternal, you are far wealthier than anybody else. In fact, all the money in this world cannot compare to the riches that you have awaiting you. Not the person over there, or not the person over there, but you, the one that bowed their knee and gave your heart and gave your life to Jesus Christ. And you said, Lord, I need you. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, to, to wipe them away, to wash them clean. I am a passionate, devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And you announce to the world that you are following Jesus. When you have Christ, in your life, you are more blessed than anybody that could ever walk this earth that doesn't know him. Wow. And you are not only blessed, but God has invited you. He has called you. He has commissioned you to not sit on the sideline, not sit on the bench. One of the worst things in the world, if you're a player, if you're a player on a team, whether it's football or basketball or whatever it may be, is sitting on the bench, riding the pine. Nobody likes that. You want to be in the game. And the thing about God is if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there is no one that sits on the bench. He has called us, invited us to partner with him. I want you to catch that for a moment. The creator of the heavens and the earth has partnered with us to further the greatest thing that's ever been created on this earth, and that is the church of the living God. The church, the body of believers, the one that Christ said, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, death itself, will not prevail against the church. If you're part of the church, death has no hold on you. Wow. And he's invited us. He's commissioned us. In fact, right before he ascended in Matthew 28, he was going to ascend into heaven. And he said, all power, all authority is given unto me, both in heaven and in earth. And he said, now go. And gave us the great commission to make disciples. Have you ever considered making disciples? 
as an opportunity to fulfill, partner with God? And you say, well, pastor, I know that I, I can't win anybody. And you're right, you can't. None of us can win another soul. But we can lead them to Christ. Christ has invited us to use our hands, our feet, our mouth, our words to proclaim the gospel. All the angels in the heavens look down at what we have and desire it but cannot attain it. Never has God ever called any of his angelic host son or daughter. And yet he calls us the children of God. And we are invited to partner with him in building the church. Not buildings, but the church. The body of believers, those that are going to live forever in eternity with him. You ever had to rethink that? Have you ever had to rethink your, your theology? You ever had to rethink anything in life? I want to challenge you today. I want to take a look at, at looking out. We've, we've talked about looking up and looking up in our relationship with God. Last week we talked about looking in and our relationship with one another. Today I want to speak to you just for a few moments on, on looking out on our relationship with others around us. Sometimes I think it's good that we rethink our position on certain subjects. I was in a meeting years ago, and, and this, and this uh, evangelist was up, and it was a bunch of pastors, and, and there's a lot of pastors on, on the platform behind him, and there were a couple thousand people or so there, and, and he got up, and he was one of those really excitable, evangelistic-type guys, and he was telling us everything he didn't believe in. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been in one of those, but man, those lists are long. Because they preach a long time. Yeah, and he was preaching and he said, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't believe in women preaching. And a holy hush came on the, on the whole audience. And he looked back and there were several women stand, sitting behind him. And he rethought his opinion. Because he turned right back around and he says, but I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not as against it as I used to be. See, sometimes life requires us to rethink and to reevaluate and, and, and change our perspective from time to time because times change and events change and, and people change. Success has always come to those that are willing to change the outcome by rethinking their current situation. Henry Ford, in 1918, developed the assembly line so he could make affordable cars for America and it was working. People that, that couldn't afford cars before were buying them and suburbs were starting to be developed because people could now commute back and forth and amazing things were happening. But with that, with that change and that innovation came some problems. Say for every 100 jobs that he had Henry Ford had to hire 300 people per year because he was losing people constantly. See, the, the work week was six and a half days. That's a long week. So he began to rethink things. And in 1926, Henry Ford changed the work week to 40 hours a week. 
doubled the rate of pay from $2.43 a day to $5 a day. Doubled their, doubled their pay, gave them less hours to work. Gave them incentives like, like being able to buy shares and stocks in the company. He revolutionized how, the workplace. And what happened is he, he walked out into the factory and he walked into the factory. He saw the need, felt the hurt, and did something about it. What happened was people began to be encouraged, morale improved, and, 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 and then people began to take pride in their work, and production took off. We owe the 40-hour work week to Henry Ford. I really wish he would have thought 30, but, <laughs> but he said 40. You know what's amazing about that? Wall Street was in a panic. Industry was in a panic. All the professionals, all the, all the advisors, all the financial advisors said, he is destroying our economy. It will never work. I think it's worked. He did it because he was forced to rethink. He saw the conditions, he, he felt for the employees, and he took actions. And the results were amazing. Better work ethics. He no longer had to hire three people every year for one job. In fact, he had people lining up at the door to come in to, to work. Although Wall Street didn't agree with him, he was right. I think churches sometimes, the church needs to from time to time, rethink our position on, on the Great Commission. We're not going to throw out the Great Commission because that is what is called for. That's what Christ commissioned us or ordained us to fulfill. But the way we do it is, is, is a little different. I know that we're getting ready to have on February 4th, we're going to have a, a missionary here in the church, and, and I think that is great. I love hearing about missions. But I used to be really frustrated with Missions Week because we would have missions week and we'd have events going all week long. And, and on Sunday when the missionary was there, we'd have a few hundred people. But during the week, we'd have a few, like 12, show up for potlucks. And, and it was very frustrating. And then I finally realized, now wait a minute. When that was initiated, when that, when that format was started... People were off work, and that was their entertainment. That's what they did, so everybody came. But when I was holding a, a meeting at 6 o'clock, people weren't off of work until 7. They couldn't be there because times had changed. So it caused me to rethink a missions conference, so we shifted it to a Sunday and not just had one, but we had four throughout the year. And when we did that, missions giving increased. We connected faces with the people with the faces and faces with the people. And, and they weren't giving to a great need. They were giving to a person and to a specific need. And it changed. It revolutionized what, how we thought about missions. See, in every generation, every generation has always had these leaders that, that have changed. Martin Luther rethought the theology of salvation and determined that it was to live by faith. William Carey became the father of modern uh, uh, missions because he was rethinking 
his obligation to reach the world. George Mueller rethought the church's social responsibility and became the person that changed the lives of countless orphans by starting orphanages everywhere he could. Martin Luther King Jr. rethought inequitable laws in, in our country and, and led our nation to adopt civil rights for all Americans. So is it any great thing that we would think about our efforts to rethink the Great Commission? I think the first thing that we need to really consider and rethink is that the Great Commission is more than a suggestion or a request. It's not, you may do this if you want, but he commissioned it. It's a commandment to us. In John 21, where Jesus, after his crucifixion and resurrection, he, he met his disciples along the shore, and he spoke to Peter, and, the, and he said, Peter, do you love me more than these? And he spoke to him three times after Peter had denied him. And, and each time, Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus' response was the same. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me more than these, more than life? And he said, Lord, you know I do. And he said, well, feed my lambs. So you have to understand that, that Peter understood the requirements of tending sheep. He understood that tending sheep was difficult. The challenges that, that you had to, to get out among the sheep and live among the sheep to tend the sheep. You couldn't tend your sheep from your house, nor could you tend your sheep from a synagogue. You couldn't tend your sheep from your, from your fishing boat. If you wanted to be a keeper of sheep, you needed to live with the sheep. Peter understood that. But Jesus was trying to help Peter understand that, Peter, if you're really going to fulfill the Great Commission, if you're really going to feed the sheep, if you're really going to minister to those that I am going to call, that I am going to set free, that I am going to liberate, that I am going to give eternal life to, you must first love me. Number one, I, I, I would challenge our thinking that I don't believe that we can do anything with the Great Commission without a first, a passionate love for Jesus Christ. That our love for Christ has to be overwhelming. That our love for Christ has to be that one where, where we look at it and we, and, and we say, Lord, we'll do anything for you. We'll go anywhere for you. We'll say anything for you. We'll do anything for you. We'll give anything for you. And we will do that with everything in us because we have found the pearl of great price. There is no other place that we can go but to follow you. And we fall in love with Christ. In the book of Revelation... Spirit speaking to the church, and he, and he said, man, you've done everything great. You, you've followed the, the, the rules, and you've done everything right, and you don't like sin, and you don't like this, and, and you've done all these right things. He says, but man, I've got something against you. I've got one thing against you. You have lost your first love. See, love is a prerequisite to fulfilling the Great Commission. If you don't have a passionate love for God, 
you'll never fulfill it. Let's, let's get on with our, with our thought. One of the, I think one of the greatest examples in Scripture that we can look at in, to fulfill the Great Commission is found in Mark 6, 34. Here's Jesus. He's been working. He's tired. He's been ministering to people. He's been healing people. He's been speaking to people. The, the apostles have been right there with him. They are worn out, tired. And he says, guys, let's get in the boat and let's go to the other side and let's get some rest. Let's take a vacation. Let's play a little golf. So they get in a boat and they go to the other side of the sea. But the people had heard where he was going and they outran him there. They went around. It wasn't a very fast boat. So, and it says, and, and, when he, and when he went ashore, he saw a great a crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And here's the first thing I want you to look at in this passage of Scripture. He went ashore. I would say to you and I, if we want to fulfill the Great Commission, other than having a passionate love for Christ, is we got to get out of the boat. You got to get out of the boat. I love the church. I'm, I, I, I love the church buildings. I, I, I know I'm, I'm odd. And, this, and maybe, well, no, I was going to say, uh, Sam and I are a lot alike, but that'd make you odd too, so no, we won't say that. But, but one of the things that, that I, I love being around the church. I've always loved being around the church. I love coming in here and just vacuuming. I love cleaning. I love just to hang out at the church. I know that's weird, but I like it. But I can't reach people for Christ by hanging around at the, in the church. I've kind of got to get out of the church. See, I, I kind of, you know, we used to go on cruises down in the Baja a lot because they were really cheap, and it's just like a three-day vacation that you can get away from everybody and your cell phones don't work praise god hallelujah and, and all of those things and you're just alone just you know and just and, and there was we'd gone so many times that when it would dock on some of these places we wouldn't even get off the boat it's like we'll have more fun hanging out on the boat hello lido deck where's that ice cream Sometimes we, we, we make church so great and so much fun, and, and I love that, and, and I love it when people love church, but the reality is we cannot fulfill the Great Commission while we're in here together. We need to be here together, and next week we're going to talk about that, about being here together, but the reality is if you and I want to fulfill the Great Commission, those that need to hear about Jesus are out there, they're not necessarily in here. And we have to have a mentality of, we're going to get out of the boat. How do you get out of the boat? Well, you're out of the boat when you're at work, when you're in the grocery store, when you're at Disneyland. Wherever you go, you're out of the boat. So number one, we need to realize that that it's not just about being in here. And I love being in here. This is an essential part because you hear and you're encouraged in here to go out there 
to talk to others about Jesus Christ. Here's the second thing. He not only went ashore, but he saw a great crowd. Let me ask you, when you're out driving around, who do you see? How do you see people? Do you see them as obstacles in your way to get where you're going? I do sometimes. Commuting was designed of the devil. <laughs> so, when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, he had sent his disciples into a town to buy some supplies, and a woman comes to him to the well in the middle of the day, which, number one, women didn't travel by themselves, and they didn't go to the well in the middle of the day. They went together in the morning and in the evening. And here's this woman coming to him in the middle of the day. Jesus didn't look at her on the outside. Jesus spoke to the need on the inside. He saw her not based on her life, or what she was doing, but as someone that he came to save. How do we see people? When we're walking in the, in, in the mall or wherever we're going, do we see people as, as those, wow, here's somebody that the Lord came to save. It may, maybe they know the Lord, but how do you know unless you strike up a conversation? How do you see people? Do you see the crowd? Jesus said he saw them like sheep without a shepherd. Do you see people as sheep without a shepherd? Do you see people that if they don't know Jesus Christ, they're going to live for eternity in torment? Do we see, do we see people as they really are? And do we understand, do we see ourselves as we really are, that God has commissioned us and he has given us the gospel? And it's the gospel that brings salvation to men because the gospel means good news. And do you realize that if God has called you, he has already equipped you? You have everything you need. So we have to get out of the boat. We have to see people. And the third thing that actually goes with number two is simply this. When he saw them, he had compassion on them. Compassion. He saw them for what they really are. He saw people where they really were. And it broke his heart. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd, and, and, and it broke his heart. I know when Hurricane Irma rolled through, you know, we were all prepping and preparing, and uh, I really wish hurricanes would, were faster because all that waiting just makes you anxious. You know, earthquakes are much better. They're just over and done with. It's like, hey, we had an earthquake. Great, let's go back to bed. Uh, can't do that with hurricanes. You know, we had, we had a lot of things that were torn up here. But a lot of the islands, Puerto Rico. I just read this week where Puerto Rico, part of Puerto Rico, just now received electricity. 
over 100 days without electricity. But when people saw the need, they had compassion and began to give. And they're still giving because they saw it for what it really is. People that are hurting and they gave and they gave freely and they're continuing to give and to give freely. See, compassion is a catalyst for action. Compassion is the difference between hearing the call and living the call. Becoming a spectator or a participator is determined by the compassion that we have. In the story of the Good Samaritan, where the, the man was robbed and beat and nearly dead and left for dead on the side of the road and the, and the priest came by, it wasn't that the priest was a bad person, but he was so focused about his duties and responsibilities in the boat that he, he couldn't get out of the boat to see the need. Same with the, with the Levite that was so focused on making sure the boat was going in the right direction. But it was the Samaritan, the ones that kind of everybody looked down on. He saw the need, had compassion, and got out of his boat and made a difference in that man's life. So compassion is, is essential. So we need to, to get out of the boat. We need to see the need. We need to see the world for what it really is. And I will tell you, if you're, if you're relying on news, if you're relying on, on the political events of this world to keep you informed, you're, you're really going to be misinformed because the politics in Washington, D.C. and the capitals around the world, they're not the ones that are, that are running things and they're not the ones that are in control. I mean, I've had to quit watching news because it's too scary. My heart does a lot better when I just focus on people because things are going to happen and I have no control. But what I do have control over is number four. I know I can get out of the boat and I know that I can see the need and I can say, Lord, open my eyes to see the need. I know that I can have compassion because if I am passionately in love with Christ, then my heart is going to beat in rhythm with his and I will feel the need. And when you feel the need, you will do the fourth thing, and that is you will take action. Jesus looked at them, and he began to teach them. He, he taught them about spiritual things, and then he discovered that they were hungry, and he ends up feeding 5,000 with the loaves and fishes. He took care of the physical and the spiritual needs because he got out of the boat he saw people for who they really were. He had compassion. I don't know if you've ever uh, read or heard about Irina Sindler. Irina Sindler it was a Polish nurse back in World War II. And when the Germans overtook Poland, in Warsaw they had designated a place where they put most of the Jewish people and they were just in a concentration area. And Irina would go in and saw the need 
And she would go in as, as a nurse to help people with infectious diseases. And she decided that she was going to do something about the situation that she saw and had compassion on. So she would go in and she would sedate young children and carry them out in, in clothes hampers, in sacks, in coffins. She would smuggle them out. She was caught. And, and the Germans sentenced her to die. And the day before that she was to die, she escaped. She died in 2008. But they found that she, when she would go through, she would write the, the children's names and she kept them in a jar. And they, they discovered that just through her efforts alone, 2,500 children were saved. Because one person got out of their boat and saw the need and had compassion and said, I am going to take some action. I don't know what good I can do, but what I can do, that is what I will do. And her famous quote was this, if you see someone drowning, you must try to rescue them even if you can't swim. Wow. So you may ask me, well, what is the first and foremost thing for church growth? I will tell you the first and foremost thing for church growth is the Great Commission. Is this. It's not pastors. It's not elders. It's not deacons. It's not ministry teams. It's you and I getting out of the boat, seeing the people, having compassion, and just doing something. Just talking to those we can, ministering to whoever the Lord puts in our way. Those people that we mentioned before of, of Luther and Mueller and Carey and Sindler and, and all of these other people, they didn't walk into these situations thinking, hey, I am going to be a hero today. Hope I have my cape. It's going to be blowing in the wind. They were just people like you and I that decided to do something about the situation that they saw. And they stepped out of their comfort zone and with a heart of compassion did what they could do. And history says they're heroes. I believe today, I'm going to ask our, our praise team to come, I believe today I am looking at a whole room full of of Luther's, of Mueller's, of Sindler's, of heroes. People that, that the Almighty God has invested in that said, I could have any venue and avenue to, to share my gospel, to give the good news of, of salvation to humanity, but I am going to choose my children. And I'm going to bless them and I'm going to equip them. So my encouragement you, to you today is, who has God put in your life? 
Who are the threes in your three, two, one that, that, that God has been speaking to you about? And is it time that, that you and I step out of the boat, see the need, feel the compassion, and do what we can do? Would you stand with me?